So I'm going to guide us in a little bit of theological reflection this morning. I hope that's okay. Um, we want to set the theological basis for what we're going to talk about all summer, and we will round that um, to the beginning of our series and talk about the importance of becoming a non-anxious presence. So in what sort of a context do we understand that pursuit? And what is our biblical understanding of what the church is, what the church is supposed to be, and matters similar to that? I'm going to take you to the end of the Bible to begin with and to talk about wordsmithing a phrase um, that may, on the face of it, just seem like an obvious comment to make and yet makes all the difference about where we're going to go. So when you go to Revelation 21, you, you find the story about the end of this creation. And in the middle of that chapter, um, there's a phrase that God is said to speak out. And he says, behold, I make all things new. Did he mean he will make all new things? or all things new, and what's the difference? Anybody want to hazard a theological guess about that? What's the difference between God making all new things and making all things new? Which one do you think he wants to do? All things new again, perfect. That is the right answer, and I'm glad it was, because it'd be awkward for me to Jen to have to say, no, Jen, that's not it, right? In fact, that is our understanding um, of the intention that God has about the end of time and the kingdom in its full manifestation, that God is not going to make all new things. So he's not going to throw away this good creation, but he's going to renew this creation. He's going to make all things new, not all new things. And I think that's kind of a, a pivot understanding um, that has been really helpful in my Christian growing, probably over the last 10 or 15 years, to understand that God did not make a creation that he would then sort of discard. He made a good creation and we messed it up. And so what should he do? Should he throw it away and make a new one or will he renew the good creation, and will it be, again, what he intended it to be? Which is to ask the question about whether or not Ireland will be here when the Lord comes. And I'm thinking the answer is yes, and you can stay here in Canada if you want, but I think I'll probably go back over there. But then it also says in Revelation there'll be no more sea, and I like fishing, and Ireland is about fishing. I get confused. So I, I do need to do some continued theological reflection as well. Let me take you to two comments, two statements that were made at the beginning of the whole Christian era. The first one is by John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and said this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Secondly, the Lord Jesus, when he came, made the same announcement. So there's something obviously important about what John said, because Jesus said the same thing. He said it with a little extension to it. It was, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. 
So similar to my previous thinking that heaven is a place somewhere else that we go to from earth, um, that what God will do is restore creation by throwing it away and starting all over, I used to think that this was a comment about time, that Jesus, along with John the Baptist, was saying, you need to repent and believe because at some point down the road, the kingdom of God is near. And those who would follow him would hope that that time would come soon. In the Greek language, there are two words for time. And I'll give you those words because there aren't a lot of Greek words that really, really matter. I mean, agape really, really matters. And these two really, really matter. The first word for time is the word chronos. So that gives us chronology and other words. And chronos is time on the calendar or time on the clock. Right, so um, let's think about a date. The date June 4th has passed by this year. That, for many of us, is simply a date on the calendar. For me, it's my wedding anniversary. And so it's a different kind of a date. The other word for time in Greek is the word kairos. And kairos is a word that means the kind of time that this is. So chronos is simply the mark of time, the date, the time, the clock, the calendar, whereas kairos is more about the nature of that time. What kind of time was that? So June the 4th is a very special day, an important day. Chronologically, yes, it fits in chronos, but kairos, because it's a day when there need to be roses and dinner and all the rest of there, so she doesn't hear me saying these things, right? We didn't do that. I did do that. Jesus said, Kairos has come. And what what I take that to mean is not that the kingdom is going to happen soon, but that the era in which he was speaking was going to become a different kind of an era. It was going to become a different character of time. And we understand that as his arriving to effect the new covenant that God had promised, uh, to bring about his kingdom, and to usher in all of the great renewal that God wants to bring in as he heads towards the full renewal of the creation that he won't throw away, but he wants to renew. Jesus went a little bit farther about it, and in talking to the, the Pharisees one day, It says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, because they thought like we did, that the kingdom of God was something that would arrive. I mean, they hoped the day was coming when Rome would be conquered, and instead of Rome, God's kingdom would be established. So they assumed it would be by some kind of rebellion, some kind of war, some kind of overthrowing of the regime, and... They weren't sure, but maybe this rabbi was going to be the agent by which they could have victory over Rome. And so they were pressing him. They said, if, if you are this king, if you are bringing God's kingdom, when? I mean, how long do we have to wait before it arrives? And Jesus answered them, and he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And if you're a Pharisee, you'd probably say, what? How, how can that be? What are you talking about? 
What was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about a, a new understanding of kingdom that was not in the human kind of a sense of, of a power source or a, a power center or a powerful presence. He was talking about something that would be insidious. And one of the most fascinating things about following the life and teaching of Jesus is that whatever you think is the right answer to how the world is and works, it's wrong. It's always upside down when Jesus says how it should be, how it will be. And so when the Pharisees are saying, well, just tell us when you're going to bring about this kingdom. I mean, how will we get ready? What's it going to look like? And Jesus said, no, it's, it's not going to come with signs of a kingdom like you expect. Um, you can't even say here it is or there it is because the kingdom is actually among you. Um, some versions will say the kingdom is in you, and it is the preposition in, but it also means within, among. And it's a faithful translation that says the kingdom of God is among you. So what does all of this have to do with the non-anxious presence? Um, if the kingdom of God is among us, it means that there's something that should be happening that is radically different in the middle of a fallen creation that there should be people who are radically different in the middle of a fallen creation. That the kingdom of God should be springing up all around. And in fact, even though the Pharisees don't have it kind of schemed this way, it is the sort of thing by which people will say, there it is, or here it is. Not in some big powerful movement, but in subtle ways. Um, the kingdom begins to grow and instead of our understanding of the passage of time um, being all of this happens, we live here, um, we try to convince people that Jesus is God, we try to live differently, we try to bring some of them with us when we die and we all go to heaven, and then whatever else has to be happening here, it's, it's not that way. It's, it's an emerging kingdom that in fact is there and here and in our midst. So if we were to put all of that into some sort of provocative ways of thinking, we'll begin with the question, is it all new things or all things new? And we say it's all things new. And oh my goodness, that is different. That's a different paradigm than the idea that we might once have had. God is in fact going to restore this creation. It was beautiful in its first appearance. It will be beautiful we have just marred our creation badly, and it'll be incredible to see what God does that turns it back to what it was intended to be, what it was intended to look like, and how we were intended to experience it. The second sort of provocative thing is that we ask the question, is it our job to get earth to heaven, as in the people of earth to get them to heaven? Are we supposed to be working with the view of people coming with us to heaven? And, and then sort of the, the mood question about what happens here, it kind of doesn't matter. If we get enough people with us and bring them to heaven, then we've done our job. Uh, N.T. Wright, whom I appreciate greatly, so does Andrew. And if you want to have some heavy reading and good reading, anything he wrote was fantastic. But he says our job is not to bring earth to heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. 
And that's the spirit of, of this series. It's the spirit of our, our theology, our ecclesiology, our eschatology, all those ology words. Um, they're all in the spirit of, no, it, it's, it's not a kind of a, a binary, um, we have to be here, but we want to get out of here. Let's get as many people as we can to come with us. What we're called to do is bring earth, uh, bring heaven to earth so that earth looks more like heaven. We pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's the bringing of heaven, heavenly things, heavenly ways, heavenly beliefs to earth. That's what we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. And so if we were to put that in our vernacular, we want to be known as a people who pray this, may it be in Milton as it is in heaven. We've talked before about the kind of the, the kingdom version of every situation. So if, if we were to think wherever we see brokenness or sadness or failure, if we ask, well now, but what would it look like if heaven came there? What would it look like if the kingdom arrived there? What would that family relationship look like if the kingdom had arrived, if heaven really had come to earth? And so we, we, we begin to see kind of the practical outworking of the big ideas um, about what God is up to and what we then should be called to be involved in. The key word... Um, that we will meditate on through the summer is the word presence. And presence is also our operative word as a philosophy of ministry. We exist um, with various facets of our understanding of presence. So if you come to the, the, the briefing membership meeting, I will tell you all about that. And then we'll ask you, if you are just joining up with this crowd, if you agree with us that what we're supposed to do is live out presence in these various facets, then we'll say, well, do you want to become a member here? Because that's all it takes. Actually, all it takes is, can you tell us that you've met Jesus and are following him as Savior and Lord? Have you been baptized? Are you interested in being baptized? Those kinds of things. Can you sign your name? And then you can come to the next annual general meeting and vote. You can be an active part of, of who we are and what we are. Where we want to go this summer is to ask the question about what kind of presence we are supposed to be as we try to bring in all of these ideas together and put them on the table. What does it mean that God is actually going to make everything new? How will that start here? How, how will God make Milton new? How will God make our lives new? How will, make, how will he make our communities new? Um, what are we aiming for? What we're aiming for is an experience of God's presence with us so that we can be present here and we can include others in the presence of God. It, it's, it's kind of that simple. Um, the kind of presence that we're going to talk about a lot is a non-anxious presence. So just have a look inside your head and your heart and ask yourself, am I an anxious person? 
I mean, maybe ask your wife or ask your husband, ask your mom, ask your dad, um, am I an anxious person? We've talked about languishing through the pandemic as a really key word that describes what we felt. And I think that is a kind of anxiety. It's a kind of nameless feeling of dread, um, of worry, um, of being anxious. And, and I think uh, everybody that's observing society closely and talking about what is the spirit of this time, they're talking about anxiety being um, an epidemic in the West and in the whole world. But that it has, it has gotten to the levels that, well, we have progressed in many ways in, in society. We have regressed in the matter of anxiety that we're more anxious now than we ever have been. We're wealthier now than we ever have been. We have more technology now than we ever have had, but we're more anxious now than we've ever been before. So if the kingdom of God is going to be growing among us, and the catalyst for the arrival of the kingdom is presence, what kind of presence will best be augured by the Holy Spirit um, so that people will understand that this is what they're longing for. They're not longing for religion, doctrine, um, people telling them how bad they are and what they should never do. They're longing for something that will address the anxiety of their hearts, the, the feeling of hopelessness or helplessness or worry. And if we can live into the presence of God in such a way that that presence to us allows us to be non-anxious and then live our lives among the people around us as non-anxious people. We will have at least communicated what we believe we need to over this whole summer period. So I invite you to make sure that you've got the right sort of theological pieces on the table. Um, make sure I'm right about God intending to make all things new. And when you go into Revelation 21, it's, it's hard to understand. Um, but I think we can show that uh, even Paul, when he was talking about the new life in Christ, he talked about all old things having passed away and everything has become new. So when Revelation 21 talks about the old creation passing away, it's similar to the old nature passing away. It does not cease to exist. It's radically changed. And I think that's what God will do cosmologically as well as soteriologically. You'll never hear so many illogical words in one sermon as this sermon today. So there you go. Non-anxious presence. I um, do a lot of weddings. And I had a wedding yesterday. Three. And the... The, the period, 15 or 20 minutes leading up to a wedding are anxious times. Everybody is anxious. Except one yesterday that was a Croatian-Serbian wedding that they gave them all vodka shots, all the guests, before they, before they started the wedding. The officiant did not imbibe, I, I can assure you, until after. Or did not. Um, and everybody's uptight, so... Everybody that works at this venue, they all have radios, so they're, they've 
little earphones in and everybody's talking to everybody. Probably they're like 12 or 14 radios and people shouting, bring everybody up. So the chapel is way up on a hill. You have to climb up a bunch of steps. They have to bring stuff up, brides and bridal parties and all the rest, bring everything else back down. And yesterday, there was a freak storm in Cambridge. I mean, it didn't even happen in Guelph. I don't know about Milton. But there was a period of time, in fact, I know exactly what time it was. It was 10 to 4. At 10 to 4, with a wedding starting at 4 o'clock, the winds began to howl, and the rain was torrential. Like, it was absolutely torrential. You could not hear yourself shout. We have a little chapel with a retractable roof, but it's, it's a roof that you can, it's like a tin roof, and you can hear the rain through it. So I had a microphone, and I was shouting, and the bride and groom were shouting their answers back, and you could still not hear yourself. It was phenomenal. But at 10 to 4, obviously, quickly, they had to get umbrellas everywhere, uh, and people quickly moved. And there was, you know those uh, umbrellas, like there are across the street at the Ivy, that have the nice solid base that will hold the umbrella down in the event of a windstorm. They have those at Whistlebear, and one of them was picked up out of its base by the wind and thrown up onto one of the terraces. So Ryan is my good friend there, has been for the last five years, and he's a 20, 21-year-old guy. And Ryan, who was getting all the tech stuff ready to go, heard in his headphone, his earphone, that this thing had ended up on the terrace. So he went running down the steps, and as he got to the terrace, somebody said, no, it's not here, it's on the roof. So Ryan climbed onto the roof and rescued this umbrella, brought it back down, got it back in the space, ran up to the wedding at 4 o'clock, turned the microphone on, and he said, all in a day's work. Ryan is a non-anxious presence, and I've discovered that every single wedding. He is non-anxiously present. Um, he, he's a lovely kid. Um, he, he and I have done so many weddings that yesterday he told me I could stay home because he knew my script word for word by memory and could do it himself. Non-anxiously present. And I said to him, because I'm thinking about this, I said, Ryan, you're the most non-anxious person I know. And I admire that. Um, We'll get to more conversations that talk about why that is. But it just struck me that, that that's what it would look like. I mean, torrential rain, howling wind, everybody in a panic, a bride that they're scared to death her $1,000 gown will get wet and ruined or something like that. And here's this guy who calmly goes about the rescue of an umbrella and then calmly walks back up and sits down and says, okay, let's go. Don't you want to be non-anxiously present like Ryan? It's a great example. He, his story is not in the Bible, but it could be. I think Jesus was like that. He was never in a flap. He was never panicked. And we're led to understand how that happened in his life, and we're going to study those things. But I encourage you to long for being a non-anxious presence for a few reasons. First of all, you want to stop being anxious, right? Secondly, the world needs us to be non-anxiously present to them. It will be the testimony 
the testimony that has kind of worked in our lives has been different from time to time. It used to be that we thought a testimony was when you drove out of your driveway on a Sunday morning with a suit on, you would think, my neighbors know I go to church. Sometimes we have thought when we say something that people at least know that we've taken a stand. They know where we stand, and that's our testimony. Many times it's acts of love, acts of compassion, acts of forgiveness that we depend on to be our testimony. I think today being non-anxiously present is our testimony. And I'm looking forward to what we're going to learn and how we're going to change and how I'm going to slow my life down, especially the life that I live in my head. Some of us live busy head lives, and we need to, to find rest. We need the Spirit of God um, to bring his fruit to us um, so that we are not anxious, but we are present in a world that needs us to be non-anxiously present. So let's at least get our tongues around the phrase and get familiar with it and ask one another, how was this week? The right answer will be, it was a non-anxious week. My first non-anxious week, I think, in my whole life. Let's look for that. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that when we look at the life of Jesus and we're able to identify those behaviors and characteristics that are godly um, and, and look for what they look like. We see them in Jesus. We see him being um, a human being who is like us, we're told, in every way. And yet he never is anxiously present. He's always powerfully and graciously um, present to people. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will make us those kinds of people. In Milton, in Canada, where we work, where we go to school. Um, thank you for the ideas that we will uh, f formulate and develop together as we talk. Um, teach us, we pray, and make this a, a, a wonderful time of learning. We pray in Jesus' name.